Acts chapter number 7. And uh, let's begin reading at verse number 20, and then we'll jump over to Hebrews chapter number 11. The Word of God says, "...in which time Moses was born." Now, we're jumping into the middle of Stephen's sermon. He's recounting the history of the children of Israel. And he's just uh, finished speaking about their years of bondage, how that there was a Pharaoh that was uh, born, rose to prominence, that knew not Joseph, that enslaved them. And the Bible says, "...in which time Moses was born..." and was exceeding fair, and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him, and avenged him that was oppressed, and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove, and would have set them at one again, saying, uh, Sirs, your brethren, why do ye wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. We've just read Stephen's uh, recounting the history of Moses, of the early life of Moses. Now, we know the story does not end with Moses at that point. We know that the Lord appeared to him in a burning bush. We know much of what God did in his life. Later on, how that God used him to deliver the children of Israel out of bondage and to lead them for 40 years in the wilderness. But I want us to focus on the young life of Moses for a moment. In Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 23 with me. The Word of God says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. Let's read once more verse 24 and then we'll pray. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you'd bless the preaching tonight that you'd speak to hearts that which would glorify your Son the most. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for all that you have done, that you will do in our lives. We thank you most of all for who you are. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to preach to you for a few moments tonight on the thought of faith in the will of God. Now, I understand that all of our faith is placed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it ought to be placed. But I want to ask you something tonight. Do you believe that God has a will for your life? 
The Word of God teaches explicitly that God is concerned and interested not only in the broad spectrum of what our life will do and will mean, but in the very details and the very minute things that are going to take place in our lives. Something that you'll find as you read through Hebrews chapter 11, and and the theme of Hebrews chapter 11 is the topic of faith. You'll find that there are snapshots of people of faith all through the Word of God. And each snapshot of faith presents faith in a different aspect or in a different light. And as we come to Moses, we find that the driving force in his life, the driving theme in his life was this truth that God had a providential will and purpose for him. That will is what God had laid out for him divinely. I don't believe tonight in destiny. I believe in the divine will of God. And this providential will is something that evidently was revealed to Moses at a fairly young age. And it's something that he held on to through many bumps, many obstacles, many detours. Let me just pause and say this, that the will of God didn't happen for Moses like he expected it to happen. There's times that God reveals things about His will in our life, and we know what the destination will be, but we can't possibly understand the road that we're going to take to get there. Such was the truth for the life of Moses. And we'll see in this passage four things that Moses' faith in the will of God, a belief that God had a divine will for his life, we'll see four things that his faith in that truth caused him to do. I believe as believers we ought to seek the will of God. The greatest thing that a believer can do is to find the will of God for his life and to do it. That's the very definition of success. You can die with a big bank account, with a big home, with uh, all the cars you could want, with a name that means something to the world, uh, with all of the adoration of mankind, and it means nothing if you've missed the will of God for your life. The greatest thing we can do is to find the will of God and do it. And so if you believe tonight that God has a will for you, I believe we see four things that the will of God uh, prompted Moses to do that will prompt us to do as well. Look at verse 24. The Bible says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Can I say, first off, we see Moses' faith refusing some things. Now, let me just stop for a moment and say this. If you believe that God has a will for your life, how many of you believe that God has a will for your life? Let me say this, that anything other than the will of God, you should utterly refuse. You see, Moses had some opportunities in his young life. We all know the story, and we read over it just a moment ago, how that he was born in a time of great persecution, how that in this time of persecution, his parents uh, took him and put him in an ark of bulrushes, sent him down the Nile. Boy, isn't that just like God to work? You know, uh, the prescribed method of euthanizing uh, these uh, little babies was, was that they would take and cast them into the Nile. Isn't it just like God to use the very thing that the world means for evil and for wicked and for death. And God uses that very thing to preserve His chosen servant. And so they take Moses and put him in an ark of bulrushes and send him down the river. He comes to the place where uh, Pharaoh's daughter is bathing. She hears him crying. She does what any young woman would do uh, and really any old woman too. That, that's the biggest problem having a church baby is keeping some of the older women trying to take him home. Amen. Uh, she said, I've got to take that baby and I've got to 
raise that baby. And so she gets that baby out of the water and uh, she uh, stops and thinks for a moment, well, how are we going to feed this baby? You didn't just go uh, down to the store and pick up a can of Similac. Somebody had to nurse that baby. Somebody had to feed that baby. And so uh, a little girl there, Moses' sister, said this, said, well, why don't you get one of the Hebrew women and they can nurse that baby. It was said at that time that uh, uh, that uh, it's possible that uh, she had a, a wet nurse and she tried to get a nurse uh, to nurse Moses, but Moses refused to nurse at anyone's hand but his mama's. And so they thought, well, maybe because he's a Hebrew child, we'll need to get a, he- a Hebrew woman. And so uh, this little girl, Moses' sister, said, well, I know a woman that would probably be willing to do it. Now, she knew something that Moses or that Pharaoh's daughter didn't know. She knew that that woman was that baby's mom. She knew that there was nothing more that that woman would love to do than to get that little baby boy that she thought was gone forever and to be placed in her arms. And so Pharaoh's daughter sends uh, this little girl away to retrieve her mama. And uh, would you believe it? And this is the kind of God we have. Uh, she received wages for doing the very thing that her motherly heart longed to do to take care of her little baby. Moses is raised up in the household of Pharaoh. At this time, Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the entire world. He literally had the power of life and death. And Pharaoh, this little uh, Hebrew boy that was destined to death, that was destined to destruction, now he's being raised up in the house of Pharaoh. Well, I tell you, I, I read and studied a little bit on it. You know, you got to be careful about history because history is history and it ain't Scripture. Uh, but it does agree with the uh, scriptural record. It said, and uh, Josephus records for us, uh, that, uh, that the Pharaoh did not have any sons. He had only a daughter. And this daughter had no sons, uh, only Moses. And so as Moses comes to age, it was said, and maybe this is a bit of folklore, I don't know, but it sure fits well with uh, what the Word of God teaches and says about it. Uh, legend says that there came a time when Pharaoh's daughter brought little Moses, he was a little toddler, and uh, brought him into the presence of Pharaoh and said, and I don't think she said it like this, but I'm going to say it like this, said, Daddy, you don't have a son. I don't have a son. You have no one to accept the throne whenever you die. But here's this little Hebrew boy. He's a proper child. He's a godlike child. That's literally what that word proper means. It means he's a godlike child. Uh, he's got uh, great physical qualities. He's a smart little boy. Would you be willing for him to rule and to reign in your stead? Well, legend goes that Pharaoh took his diadem off his head, placed it upon the head of this little toddler. And almost as though it was an act of prophecy, Moses' little toddler took this crown off of his head, threw it, you can see a little boy doing this, can't you? Threw it to the ground and stomped on it as an act of defiance. You see, what I'm saying tonight is that the will of God is going to cause you to refuse some things that are less than God's best in your life. Moses had everything. Let me give you three things he refused. Let me say, first off, he refused a court of adoration so that he could follow the will of God. I mean, listen, if he had become the Pharaoh, if he, and I believe that's what the Bible says when it says that uh, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I, I think the scriptural record is implying there uh, that, what, uh, that Moses had the right to rule as the, da- as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But he refu- it doesn't say that he refused to be called an Egyptian. It doesn't say that he refused to be called the grandson of Pharaoh. It says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's 
daughter. He was willing to give up everything to follow the will of God. And if he had become the Pharaoh of Egypt, you can imagine what it would have been like. An entire court, an entire army at his very beck and call. Can I say this, that uh, many a person has been led astray from the will of God by seeking the applause of mankind. Seeking the adoration of mankind. You know the great irony of it, though? And we've all seen enough movies, read enough books, uh, I guess read the funny papers enough to know that usually a king's court was filled with what we might call yes-men. Folks that were too afraid for their life to ever stand up and give an honest opinion. Can I say this? That if you spend all your time just trying to surround yourself with people that are going to make you feel good and not surrounding yourself with people that will tell you the truth and be honest and help you and encourage you in the Word of God, then all you're going to have is a bunch of yes men. You'll have a lot of applause and a lot of adoration, but that's all you'll have. We need to be careful about seeking the court of adoration. Let me say a second thing. He gave up and he refused a crown of authority. I mean, he would have been the most powerful man in the entire world, and he forfeited that authority. You know why he did that, don't you? Because he understood that no matter how much authority he could have, there was a greater authority, and he wanted to be in subjection to that authority. Well, there's been lots of folks that have been derailed from the will of God through trying to become important and powerful people. You know, at the end of the day, every one of us, when we die, we all stand before a God that's more important than us. It doesn't matter who you are. When we come, it doesn't matter if you're the type of person uh, that uh, draw that, that when you walk into a room, men and women stand at attention and look at you and appreciate you and maybe fear you and respect you. Can I say that'll mean nothing five seconds inside of eternity? All the authority in the world won't mean a thing. Let me give you a third thing. I believe he forfeited the comfort of affluence. He had all the riches of Egypt. It's explicit there in our text in verse number 25 or verse number 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. I mean, listen, the treasures that that nations possess today. I mean, that's chump change compared to the things that existed in the world of antiquity. I mean, there have been so many things lost throughout the years uh, to time, lost uh, to, to decay that existed at this time. The jewels, the gold, the precious metals, and not to mention uh, when Joseph had been in Egypt uh, some 400 years earlier and when he had rose to prominence, it was because of the prophecy of the seven years of famine and the seven years of plenty. And at that time, Egypt literally was the storehouse of the world. And through the wisdom of Joseph and through the plan that God revealed to him, Egypt had rose to a place of prominence where they literally were the global economic power in the world. And Moses could have been the man to sit at the helm of all of that. Can I say that there's lots of folks that will never find the will of God because they're afraid it'll be of, of what it's going to cost them. They're afraid of what it's going to cost them. Let me just tell you something. We live in a dog-eat-dog world. And if you're going to keep a good Christian testimony, it might mean being walked on sometimes. Am I telling the truth now? It, it, it might mean... Be, now, I'm not saying the Lord won't avenge you. He always does. And the Lord is our portion. But I'm just saying right now that there's lots of folks that wreck their homes, wreck their marriages, wreck their spiritual walks because they're always worried about making that next paycheck. Oh, we all need money to live. I don't care who you are. If you found a way to live without it, you let me know. I want to know about it. Amen? We all need money. But be careful that that the money doesn't become your master. Be careful that you don't allow that. And listen, we've got to get to the place with with young people where we start encouraging them for the will of God above any and everything else. 
I'm all for folks getting uh, good educations, good jobs, bettering themselves, being responsible, doing the right thing. Don't misunderstand. I'm for every bit of that. But let me tell you something. Our young people can, can die with full bank accounts and still miss the main thing. We need to encourage them to find the will of God and to do it for their life. That'll be the thing that gives them peace and satisfaction. That'll be the thing that matters when they leave this world. We see that Moses' faith caused him to refuse some things. And let me tell you something. God wants the best for everyone. I said this morning, and I, and I stand by it, that a lot of times God, what God gives to us, uh, He gives to us second best, not because it's what He wants to give us, but it's because we're too impatient. There's a lot of times when God wants to give us greater, but we won't trust Him and we won't wait on Him. And so what He gives us, just like He did with the nation of Israel, God had a David for the nation of Israel, but because they were impatient, He gave them a Saul before He gave them a David. And let me tell you something, we ought as believers to refuse anything other than the will of God, because the will of God is what's best for our lives. Let me say number two, look at verse number 25. The Bible says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. We see, first off, Moses' faith refusing. And secondly, then, we see Moses' faith choosing some things. Let me tell you something. If you're going to find the will of God for your life, there's some hard choices you're going to have to make. There's some difficult choices you're going to have to make. Now, let me say, first off, that Moses' faith caused him to choose the hard way instead of the easy way. We all want what's best for, for our young people and for our lives and for our loved ones. I understand. I get that. But let me just ask you something. For, for now on 70, 80 years now, particularly since the Great Depression, parents have walked, worked their fingers to the bone to always advance the, the economic situation of their children. Don't you believe that's true? You know what people say, don't you? They say, well, I don't want my children to have to live like I lived. I want my children to have better than what I had. Can I ask you something? Is our world the better for it? We ought to provide for our kids. We ought to give them what we, uh, what we can. But, but understand that, that sometimes following the will of God, it's a hard way to follow. Some of you grew up the hard way and you're the better for it. Some of you grew up the difficult way and you're the better for it. Moses surely could have thought about maybe his future children. At the time that Moses made this decision, he wasn't married. He didn't have any children. When he fled after he had killed the Egyptian, he went into the land of Midian and married uh, Zipporah, uh, the uh, daughter of, uh, of Bethuel, if I can get that name right. I think it's right anyways. Uh, the priest of Midian. And he had children then, but at this time he didn't have children. But Moses very easily could have looked and said, you know, one of these days I want to have children. I can't have children running around uh, chasing after God and what He wants for my life. And yet we find that through what God did in Moses' life, it's the only saving grace that ever his children experienced. He chose the hard way. But let me say, secondly, he chose the holy way. Look what it says. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. If you're going to find the will of God for your life, you're going to have to make a choice that you're going to live right. I didn't say spotless. I didn't say perfect. There's not one of us that's sinless. But you're going to have to make up your mind. If you want to find the will of God for your life, and if you want to do the will of God for your life, let me tell you something. The Bible says that, uh, that, that it's not the will of God that any of us sin. Isn't that what it says in the book of 1 John? Isn't that what the Word of God says? Uh, These things write unto you that ye sin not. Isn't that what the Word of God says? It's never the will of God for us to sin. Now, as long as we're in the flesh, we're going to sin, we're going to make mistakes. 
They'll never be done away with until this vile body is changed like unto His glorious body. But understand that if you're going to serve God, you're going to have to make up your mind that to the best of your ability, you're going to try to be obedient to the Word of God and live in accordance with it. Let me give you a third thing. I think He chose the hard way and the holy way, but I see that He chose the honorable way. There weren't very many people making this choice in Egypt. Am I right? There weren't very many people making this choice in Egypt. Let me tell you something else, and I didn't really intend on preaching to young people or to parents about young people, but I, but I think if this is what the Lord's saying, then I want to say it. I think we need to start telling our kids that it's okay to be different than the world. That's okay. That's okay. You may live different than the world. You won't have the same heartaches that the world has. It, it was pretty unheard of for somebody to make a decision like Moses made. In fact, I can think of no one in Scripture other than the Son of God that gave so much up that he might follow the will of his Father. The Son of God gave up more than Moses, but you name me one other person in Scripture that gave up as much as Moses did that he might follow the will of God. It's a rare thing, but we need to start telling our kids it's okay to be different. It's okay to choose the rare thing. It's all right to be a unique and a peculiar people. The world's not going to understand you. But if the world understands you, something's wrong. That's part of the problem in modern day Christianity is we get all of our psychiatry and all of our pop psychology and all of our understanding and all of our philosophy from the world. Then we wonder why we're so messed up. The world's messed up. If we sit at their feet, we're going to be messed up like they're messed up. We're going to have to learn to sit at the feet of the Son of God. And to drink from the fountain of scriptures if we're going to get straightened out. And we need to tell our young people that the greatest thing that they can ever do is choose the honorable way, though the world may not understand it. I want you to notice a third thing. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect under the recompense of the reward. We see first off. His faith refusing some things. Then we see His faith choosing some things. Then we see His faith, thirdly, viewing some things in a unique light. We see that Moses saw things differently than other people saw them. I want you to notice first off the reproach that is spoken of. Moses didn't come into this with blind eyes, you understand. Moses understood. He, there was a lot that he didn't understand. But he understood that he had a tough road to hoe in front of him. When he left Egypt, it goes on to say in verse number 27, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Moses understood after he killed that Egyptian, when he fled, he understood he was a fugitive for life. He understood what it would mean because he chose to do the will of God. And I'm just telling you right now, it's not encouraging. It's not enlightening. They're not writing books about it. Joel Osteen ain't going to tell you this, but I'm just being honest with you today. Serving God will make you a pariah to this world. It's the truth. But what does the Bible say? Notice not only the reproach, but notice his reckoning. He counted the cost. Moses wasn't blind to this. The wool wasn't over his eyes. He knew what it would mean. But when he counted the cost of it, what does the Bible say? You remember what Paul said? Paul said this, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. You know what that word reckoning means, don't you? That's a, that's a numbers term. That's a financial term. A reckoning. In other words, Paul said, I've counted the cost of this thing. 
Paul knew something about suffering. Don't you believe that? Read his laundry list of suffering sometime. I believe it's the book of 2 Corinthians. When he talks about all the things that he had been... I mean, this is a guy that had died and come back. He knew something about suffering. Paul says, when I really take into account everything, when I really do the math on this thing, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Moses counted the cost. Moses said, I know what it's going to mean. I know what it's going to cost me. But what does it say? Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Listen, we, we, need, to get some, we need to get some heavenly-minded individuals. Don't you believe that? We need, to, we need to teach our young people to be eternally-minded, not temporally-minded. You see, that's the problem. And, I, and listen, I'm not going to harp on commercialization and, and materialism. I know it's Christmas time. Everybody buys gifts. I buy gifts. But there, it, it is indisputable that right now, you know what society teaches our kids, particularly at this time of the year? That the next gadget, that the next toy, that the next wardrobe is going to be the thing to satisfy them. That's the message. That's the mantra. But let me tell you something. We're never going to make inroads with our young people, and our young people are never going to get off of the hard life that this world leads them on until they get it through their head that eternity has more value than the present. And that serving God pays more than serving the world. That it's worth it to serve the Lord. That it's worth it to serve God. It's interesting, and it talks about the reward, and we'll say a word about it, but it doesn't say esteeming the reward of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. It says esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches. You know part of our problem? Because we don't live godly enough to to suffer persecution, we don't see the value in persecution. Now, now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not not like these fruitcake Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons out here that want to ride on bicycles, uh, dress funny, and and then feel like they're a martyr when somebody throws a Coke can at them. Amen? Isn't that true? Isn't that true? I didn't even, I mean, that Coke can was empty when I threw it, amen. But I'm not advocating that. But I am saying this. Yea, and all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Paul saw a value in the persecution that he endured. Don't you believe that? What did he say? Paul said this. Knowing therefore, he said, knowing therefore the power of Christ, he said, I will glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul gloried. He didn't tolerate his infirmities. He gloried in his infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon him. We need our young people, and, and not listen, not just our young people. I don't know why the Holy Ghost has me keep saying young people. Maybe the young people know. I don't know. But not just our young people, but people of all ages, we need to get it through our mind that we'll be far better off serving the Lord no matter what it means, no matter what it holds. It may mean being a pariah to society, but we'll find more satisfaction in the reproach of Christ than we will in all the treasures that this world affords. Then notice thirdly, the reward. What does it say? For he had respect under the recompense of the reward. Can I just give you plain, simple language of what that means? He believed in it. He believed in it. It's interesting, it uses the word recompense. That word recompense denotes the idea of a just calculation. If you have recompense for a thing, that means you have anything that it has cost you, you'll be repaid. That's what it means, doesn't it? That's what recompense is. 
And Moses understood this principle, that you can never do more for God than He does for you. You can never suffer to such a degree for Him, but what it is outweighed by the glory that's revealed in us. He had a respect and believed that anything he experienced and endured, God would pay him back 400-fold. He knew that God was keeping a tally and that God was upon the throne. (laughs) We're real martyrs sometimes. You know it. That's the truth. We're real martyrs sometimes. Somebody says something bad. You know, the problem is we talk about persecution when we've never experienced persecution. And then when we experience uh, what, what most Christians in other parts of the world would laugh at when we call it persecution, when we experience that, we want to pour mouth and spread all around how bad someone's done us and say how persecuted we are. You know, there's people in this world tonight uh, uh, across this globe getting their heads took off for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We think because somebody lied about us that we really got it bad off. There's places tonight where people are meeting illegally under the threat of death to do what we're doing here in this place. That's part of the problem. We've not experienced persecution in so long we have no real grasp of it. Moses understood what he was walking away from. Moses understood what he was walking into. But he said, I believe I have a just God that keeps a tally. And I believe God will repay me for anything that I suffer loss of. What did the Lord say to his disciples? He said, no man having lost mother or father or or anything in this life, uh, but what he will be repaid a hundredfold. There's nothing you can give but what God's going to give back. We need, to, we need to stop making Christians that serve God seem like they've got it so bad off. I can tell you right now, when you serve God, you've not got it bad off. We, we've, we've allowed the world to force this attitude upon us. You, you, know, you know a lot of the reason, oh boy, you know a lot of the reason that a lot of parents can't reach their kids? Because they feel sorry for them, for them trying to live for the Lord. I'm telling the truth tonight. There's a lot that don't think it's fair to expect their young people to live for the Lord. Not fair to expect them to dress different, to act different, to listen to different music, to talk different than the world, to watch different things in the world. Parents have so much pity because they're wanting to do the wickedness their kids are doing, but vicariously through them, that they make them feel so sorry about. Listen, you serve God, you're not in a prison. You serve God, you've not got it bad off. The greatest thing you could ever have is to find the will of God and to do it for your life. It's a blessed thing to do and to obey the will of God. It's not a cursed thing to do. Oh, the world may hate us. It may cost us some things. But don't think for one moment you're going to come out on the wrong end of this if you'll serve God. He had respect under the recompense or reward. And let me give you a final thing, and I'm done. Look at verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. We see, first off, his faith refusing some things. Then we see his faith choosing, making some hard choices. Then we see his faith viewing some things differently than the world views them. And then finally, and I think any real biblical faith will do this, we see his faith moving him and causing a change in his life. Notice, first off, his course. The Bible says he forsook Egypt. He forsook Egypt. Oh, boy, we could preach on that all night. Don't get nervous. I won't. But you know Egypt is a picture of the world and the Word of God, a picture of the world and of sin. He understood at this point. Moses, Moses didn't have a real solid understanding of the road that he would have to take. 
You see, Moses understood the end of the thing. He understood. That's what it says in Acts chapter 7, how that God by his hand would deliver them out of, out of Egypt, out of bondage. Moses didn't understand everything. He understood that he was the key, that God had chosen him to lead the children of Israel. This is my personal opinion now. I believe that when he slew that Egyptian, his desire was to spark a revolution that overthrew the bondage of the Egyptians. That's my opinion. You don't have to believe it, but I do. Moses couldn't understand how his brethren couldn't see what God was doing. What I'm saying is this. Moses didn't understand everything about the will of God for his life. He didn't understand every step. He didn't understand every twist and every turn. But he understood this at that point. If he was going to follow God, he'd have to leave Egypt to do it. And I'll tell you right now, nobody ever satisfies the will of God when they're living in the world. There's never been a Christian ever satisfy and, and accomplish and do the will of God living in the world. Now, I know, I understand, Christ said, uh, prayed to His Father, said not that you take Him out of the world, but that you keep Him from the world. But you know what I mean. Trying to fit in with the world is never fitting in with the will of God. Trying to serve man is never serving the Lord. And we need to understand that if we're serious about this thing, of following and obeying the will. I don't care if you're 7 or 70 or 700. If you want to follow the will of God, then it's going to have to move you away from the world. It's going to have to move you away from what the world expects and desires out of you. There's never been anybody. Listen, you know the problem is we think we can't do the will of God because we're so ordinary. But the reality of it is this. If we just obey the Word of God, it'd make us extraordinary. If we just do what God asks us to do, we'd not be ordinary. We might not be spectacular. We might not have all the talent in the world. We might have not have all the uh, oratorical abilities. That's a word, I guess. I just made it up. We might not have all of the, the ability in the world. But let me tell you something. A, a, a candle doesn't have to do much. She just has to burn in darkness. And really what the candle looks like, the length of it, the width of it, makes no difference. If she'll just burn, then she's making a difference. And let me tell you something. If we'd just burn, we'd make a difference. If we'd just shine, we'd make a difference. We're so worried about all the particulars. When God's just trying to get a hold of us, we're trying to give Him all these little things when we've not given Him us. We're trying to appease Him and, and, and abate His his desire for our life. God is speaking to our hearts. And we're just trying to, to shovel over thing after thing, item after item in our life. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't give it over to Him, but sometimes I wonder if God looks at us and says, Listen, dummy, it's not those that I'm after, it's you that I'm after. And until you give me yourself, I'll never be satisfied. He had to forsake Egypt. But notice, secondly, his courage. By faith, he forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king. Oh my, what, what would have been the punishment for a man like Moses? Here he is, has been taken into the house of Pharaoh by his good nature and his charity, been treated as a son, been offered the crown, grown up with all the riches and all the privilege of Egypt. And now here he is, and he's killed an Egyptian and he's took the part of a slave, and he's fled. He's a murderer and he's a fugitive. Needless to say, I don't think that the Pharaoh would let him go easy. But you know what Moses understood? He understood this. There's someone greater to fear than the king of Egypt. 
There's a lot of folks that won't ever find the will of God because they're scared of it. They're scared of it. They're scared they're going to lose all their friends. They're scared they're going to lose all their acquaintances. They're scared of the wrath of the king of Egypt. They're scared of the impact. Oh, it'd do you well to know that there's someone greater to fear than the king of Egypt. I don't expect the devil to let our young people go easily. I don't expect that. We, we, we have some wonderful young people around. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you spend enough time around it, but we really do. We have some exceptional young people around here. And there's not a one of them, but what the devil would love to get a hold of their life. Use it and abuse it and wreck it. Not a single one of them. And as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, we need to get it through our head. The devil's the king of Egypt. He ain't going to let them go easy. We're going to have to do some praying to see them delivered from the world. It's going to take some, it's going to take some prayer. It's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take some leadership and some setting of examples. But let me say this to our young people. You don't have to fear him because there's someone far greater that there is to fear. And he's the one that you're serving when you purpose to serve the Lord. We see his courage. Then finally, and I'm done, we see his confidence. Notice the very last phrase. One of the most astounding phrases in all the Word of God. I'm telling you, a conference could be preached on this phrase. It says, For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. As seeing him who is invisible. You know what that tells me? That tells me this. And me and my wife were talking about this the other day. You know, there's places where Scripture is silent, and it's sort of vain to try to presumptuously enter in and figure out. But there are different opinions about things, and I guess that's okay. There's lots of folks that believe that, that during that time in, in the desert, that probably Moses had close communion with the Lord. I heard a preacher say that just the other day. He said, ain't no telling the kind of, uh, of things that Moses must have learned in constant communion and fellowship with, with the Lord on the backside of the desert over the next 40 years. Well, I'll say this. I'm of a different opinion than that. I don't believe Moses was in constant communion and fellowship in those 40 years on the backside of the desert. Let me tell you why. Because when the bush began to burn, it astounded him. He wasn't expecting to hear from God at that moment. Oh, I believe that God was still working very much in the life of Moses during that 40 years. There's no better preparation. I say this as a pastor. There's no better preparation for pastoring than shepherding. He was getting ready. Isn't it interesting that he was raising, tending the flock of his father-in-law. I said Bethuel, and I do believe he does go by Bethuel in another portion of Scripture, but Jethro. How do we ever forget the name Jethro? Amen. His father-in-law Jethro, who the Bible says is the priest of Midian. Let me ask you something. What's a priest doing keeping flocks? Evidently, he had a lot of flocks because it was more than what he could keep in and of himself. He had to have his son-in-law Moses do it. I'll tell you what I believe. We can fuss about it if you want. I believe those were sacrificial sheep. You see, I believe that Moses spent day in and day out caring for, watching over, protecting, providing for sheep that he knew were destined to die an early death. He'd spend the next 40 years of his life tending, caring for, protecting, providing for a multitude of people whom he knew was going to die in the wilderness because of their unbelief. God has an unconscious preparation in our lives. You know that? 
We may not understand what's down the road, but God understands what's down the road. Don't think for one moment that He ain't in control and it molding and shaping our life. But I don't believe Moses was in close communion during this time. But the Bible says he endured. He endured as seeing Him who is invisible. In other words, there's a lot of things that Moses couldn't understand. There's a lot of things that Moses didn't know. But Moses did know this one truth, that there is an invisible God, and that if he'd just trust Him and place his faith in Him, he would direct Him into the heart and midst of His will. For 40 years he spent enduring, enduring, enduring. And yet we find that God was right on time in his life. Let me say to you tonight that the will of God is the greatest thing you can aspire to. It'll take some things, I'll be honest. God's not playing hide-and-seek. God's not playing hard to get with His will. But you do have to refuse some things. Be careful of the devil coming along. He ain't going to give you his worst. That's not, that's not his M.O. The devil doesn't deceive men by getting them to trade the best for the worst. He deceives them by getting them to trade the best for the second best. That which is the best for that which is good. Don't allow the devil to draw you away from the will of God. Learn how to refuse some things. They may look good. They may seem good. They may sound good. But if it's not the will of God, you turn it away. You're going to have to make some choices. Hard choices. Choices that nobody else is making. But the choices will be worth it. You're going to have to view some things differently than the world views them. You're going to have to see that it's worth it to serve Christ. Not because you've experienced that but because the Word of God expresses that and teaches that. And you're going to have to make some moves towards the Lord. There's some of us that God is just waiting on us to surrender. Oh, He showed us. We know! But He's waiting on us to surrender. He's waiting on us to move. True biblical faith always moves. Anytime you see faith, it's moving something. What does the Lord say? He said, if you had faith as a as the grain of a mustard seed. You could say to this mountain, remove, and it'd remove. Faith moves things. I wonder if your faith is strong enough to move you tonight to a closer walk to the Lord.